Sending money abroad can be a hassle. There are often extra fees, and it's difficult to figure out exactly how much things are going to cost. But with TransferWise, you always get the real rate when you send to over 70 countries. You pay one super low fee and keep more of your money. TransferWise is the smartest way to send and receive money internationally. Join over 6 million customers and try it for free at transferwise.com reset. Hey, this is Ariel Zimros, the host of Reset. If you've been listening to the pod three days a week, thank you. It means a lot. And we've got a little ask for you. If you have time, please share this episode or your favorite episode with a friend. Text it, tweet it, whatever works for you. And if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. Reset is a podcast that explores how humans shape technology and how tech is shaping us. So if after listening to this episode, you feel good about what you just heard, subscribe to the pod and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Okay, here's today's show. I can't believe it. Cartoons are are under attack. Toys are definitely under attack. And now the FTC is after us. I mean, I just seriously cannot believe it. Not enough people realize the giant meteor coming to destroy YouTube. It made me take off my glasses in despair. Coppa. 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 Could be the end of YouTube. I'm Ariel Dimros, and this is Reset. Today on the show... Coppa. 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 The Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. It's been on the books for 20 years. So why are YouTubers freaking out about it now? McKenna Kelly is a tech policy reporter at The Verge, and she'll be answering that question for us. So, McKenna, why are people freaking out about a 20-year-old law? To understand what's happening with COPPA, you have to understand children's YouTube. Kids' YouTube is an enormous business. You're probably familiar with crazes like Blippi or everyone's favorite song, Baby Shark. But one of the most popular children's YouTube creators is Ryan from Ryan's World. Today, we're playing with Ryan's World toys. Ryan helped create. He's an eight-year-old who makes millions of dollars reviewing toys and selling his own. Hmm. I'm in the mood of online shopping today. So, from what I gather, we're seeing Ryan's dad at his computer showing off... Ryan's World now has Amazon page? What looks like uh, Ryan's World, the Amazon store. Look at all those cool toys. Also, we have... Okay, now we have Ryan. Gobsmacks monster truck. Wow, that's so cool. There are toys. And what else? There's a lot of excitement. There's like a red truck and some walkie-talkies. All with Ryan's face on the box. It's like, what is that? His like endorsement? It's his brand. Wait a minute. How does how does an eight-year-old have a toy brand? <laughs> Ryan's popular. Kids want to engage with him. They watch him on their iPads all day. When they go down Walmart and they see Ryan, they'll want to buy the toy. So Ryan seems super sweet, but this whole Ryan's World Amazon store thing, that doesn't seem super great. Like, it's clearly aimed at kids, and it's basically just an infomercial. Right. And that's where we start getting into problems. (laughs) 
So I think the way to talk about this is like people were watching these videos, they were watching him play with toys, and they were thinking, what the heck is going on here? This morning, the popular YouTube channel is under fire in a new complaint to the Federal Trade Commission filed by the watchdog group Truth in Advertising. And the FTC started looking into this, and they realized that, yes, kids' channels on YouTube were doing a lot of weird infomercial stuff, but they actually found a much bigger problem with ads at the platform level. It was more about how YouTube was tracking kids. So eventually, the FTC opened an investigation into YouTube. Let me start by explaining why we allege that Google and YouTube violated our rule implementing COPPA. So this is Joseph Simons, the Federal Trade Commission chair, giving a press conference in September 2019. Can you actually walk me through his speech point by point? Right. So he first kind of lays out what COPPA is. COPPA requires that certain websites and apps get parents' consent before collecting personal information from children. And personal information is non-sensitive stuff. So full names, addresses, emails, stuff like that. Still seems sensitive to me, but all right. (laughs) And the FTC chair says that YouTube collects this kind of information from people who watch the videos, including children. And basically the FTC is saying you can't do that. They're saying stop doing that with children. That's illegal. Like, not only are you showing kids infomercials, but you're tracking them as they watch those infomercials. That's not okay. And the thing is, COPPA has been on the books for 20 years. YouTube should know, and they should be telling their creators about this stuff, but they've just let it go. So how is YouTube defending that? That is the weird part. YouTube collects all this information, but their defense is that they have no idea who's on the platform. So YouTube was saying, we have rules. We don't let kids under 13 watch at all. For YouTube, they can't market their ability to get child viewers on the one hand and disavow knowledge that children are using their service on the other. This is discussed on YouTube, NPR, and TV. The FTC compiled a whole bunch of statements from YouTube as a part of this fine where representatives tell advertisers things like this. Quote, YouTube is the number one kids website. YouTube is today's leader in reaching children ages 6 to 11. And the new Saturday morning cartoons. Guys, come on. Okay, so that's pretty flagrant. So basically what they're saying is YouTube markets itself as a place to reach children. But it's also pretending that it's not a place where kids go. That's exactly what's happening. So the FTC says, YouTube, your excuse is silly. Come on. Which means you have been knowingly collecting the information of kids, which means you've been violating COPPA. Okay, so so there was a settlement. Right. And the FTC does three things to YouTube. So first... First, a substantial monetary judgment of $170 million. They fine YouTube $170 million, which to us is a lot of money. And but to, to YouTube, YouTube mm, maybe not so much. Second... Second, YouTube has to promise they won't use the information they collected on kids in the past. Cool. Third, the order imposes additional obligations on Google and YouTube. It creates all of these new rules for creators, so the individuals uploading these videos, and creates rules for them on how they treat that content. Okay, and what are those rules? Right. So now, starting this year in January, when a children's creator uploads a video, whether it's the new baby shark or whatever— They have to mark whether or not it's child-directed. You have to flag that your content is for kids. Right. And a lot of creators are freaked out that if they misflag their own video, 
the FTC could go after them. For those who create child-directed content to upload on YouTube, the message from today's case is that the FTC considers these videos and channels to be websites or online services directed to children under the rule and thus strictly liable for compliance with COPPA. If you're not flagging your content correctly, it opens you up to a $42,000 fine per infringement. Okay, so that's why everyone on YouTube is losing their minds right now. It made me take off my glasses in despair. Yes, and it doesn't help that the FTC spokesperson talking about it said it was like shooting fish in a barrel. What? YouTube is the barrel, and the content creators are the fish. Wow. All right. I can totally see how the imagery of the fish and the barrel would have people really worried. So after the break, how freaked out should creators actually be? Jillian Weinberger, host of The Impact, a podcast from Vox about how powerful people affect the rest of us. This season, we're looking at the big ideas from all the people running for president in 2020. Hit this opioid crisis head on. Public option. Move away from fossil fuel to energy efficiency. And it's going to be a great wall and it's going to work. A lot of those ideas have actually been tried before, like that wall Trump wants to build. Nogales, Arizona has had one on its border for decades. I don't understand why individual people have a right to have a fence, and yet a country can't. Senator Warren's proposal to end the opioid crisis, it's based on what we did to fight the AIDS epidemic. We would like to name it the Ryan White Care Act. And the Green New Deal. Germany tried something similar in 2000. This is the solution. This season on The Impact, we have those stories. How the big ideas from 2020 candidates worked or didn't work in other places or at other times. These are the stories that will help us understand what might happen if these proposals get rolled out here in the next four years. Subscribe to The Impact on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app to get new episodes now. Before the break, you explained that the FTC fined YouTube and that YouTube's policies are changing. What does this actually mean for creators? So there's two answers to this, right? There's the answer as the law stands now, and then there's the answer if Congress decides to update COPPA, which they're actually really thinking about. Let's start with the answer as it stands now. So I'm going to play you a couple of points from a video made by this guy, Matthew Robert Patrick. He's the host of a YouTube channel called The Game Theorists. So the first thing he says, $42,000 per video for any video that they feel has been miscategorized. I can hear the outrage in his voice right there. So can you explain this fine? So we need to talk about the FTC first. Okay. The FTC has so little resources, it would be impossible for a bunch of, like, older white guys at the FTC to sit at their desks (laughs) and find every video on YouTube that was misflagged. So this language is completely overblown. Penalties like this could wipe out families. They could wipe out businesses overnight. 
if you're a smaller channel and you're not like making a big profit off of this, the FTC isn't going to go after you. They can't set an example with you. That's what the FTC fines do. And we've seen that with YouTube and we've seen that with Facebook already. I kind of understand the nervousness, though, right? Because this seems a little vague. So, for example, if you go back to what Matthew Robert Patrick said in his video, because he runs a gaming channel, he says that he can't be sure that everyone in his audience is over 13. I feel nervous about this. Right? Because we talk about Pokemon and Minecraft and Nintendo properties, stuff that kids like to watch. YouTube has lots of channels like his that cover gaming and Disney movies and just generally stuff that adults and kids might click on. What about Whitney Avalon's Elsa versus Snow White rap battle? That's a very good question. What about Snow White versus Elsa rap battles, McKenna? And that's what everyone wants the FTC to answer. So even in their guidance that they provided to creators and to YouTube, the FTC doesn't even really know exactly what it means by child-friendly. So it's working on its definition now, but creators are still scared that before that definition comes out, they could be struck with a fine. Okay, so if I was a YouTube creator, I feel like what that would do for me is that I would try and be really conservative. I would try and flag anything that seems even remotely cartoonish or anything remotely childlike and joyful as content for kids just to avoid the fine. Well, when you do that, you open yourself to a whole new can of worms and you can lose even more money. Okay, so let's talk about that, because that's the other big thing that I heard in the video from the gaming channel host. He's concerned that if channels like his flag their videos as being for kids, they're going to lose money. If a creator is losing targeted ads on their video, they lose up to 90% of their ad revenue. 90%? I'm not sure about that. But YouTube even told creators that if they can't serve targeted ads on these videos, they have to serve contextual ads. And advertisers don't like contextual ads that much. Why not? What's a contextual ad? So a contextual ad is like, okay, you and I, we're watching Ryan's World. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Mommy. And on it, he's playing with a Lego set. A Lego choo-choo train. A Lego choo-choo train? Uh-huh. And the platform can use the context of that video that we're watching a Lego video to service more Lego ads. The railroads are busy in Lego City. The long cargo train arrives. Attach the wagon. Targeted ads use the data that we create on the platform to service ads um, for a lot of different things. So it knows that even though I'm watching a Ryan's World video now, the last 60 videos I watched were all about skincare. This one is for the girls who make it happen. So on the Ryan's World video, I still get a makeup ad. Maybelline, New York. So targeted ads try to serve you content that they already know you're into. Whereas contextual ads is just whatever you're watching in that current moment. Exactly. That seems important, but if I am watching a Lego video and I get a Lego ad, that doesn't seem that dramatic to me. I, I don't know. I, am I missing something? Is this actually going to make a dent in YouTubers' revenue? Right. So it all comes down to advertisers. And advertisers love targeted ads, and they'll spend loads and loads of money on targeted ads, and they don't really care about contextualized ads anymore. It's just the way the internet has gone over the past couple of years. All right, so the other thing that comes to mind for me is that we've been talking about ads that run either before a YouTube video or in the middle of it. But we started off talking about Ryan's World, and as we previously mentioned, 
Ryan's World, the content is basically just one long infomercial. If Ryan's parents flag the video as being for kids, is that kind of long-form ad disguised as a YouTube video? Is that still going to be allowed? Right. So this goes into another FTC rule that it made. It's like a part of my job, the Instagram. In videos like this one, Kim Kardashian West is pretty clear that what she's making is an ad for fitness shakes. They don't care. They just want to see my face and the product. But for a while, it wasn't so clear. What a lot of people on Instagram were seeing was just like, Kim and her family posing with various products. I actually have been really into chocolate shakes these days. With all of that, um, it took the FTC saying, well, if you're going to be advertising this stuff, you have to put hashtag ad in the post. So that applies to Ryan as well. So first off, he has the COPPA rules, and he has to make sure that, well, my video is targeted for children, so I have to check that off. Mm -hmm. But if he has a sponsorship from Hasbro or Mattel, he has to put hashtag ad in the video somewhere and in the description. As things stand now, content creators have to flag things if they're for kids. They're probably going to make less money. Um, But what's the new tweak to the COPPA law that you mentioned before? Right. So this has picked up steam in both the Senate and the House, and it's got like two big parts. One, it's an eraser button, which means parents could delete all of their kids' data on these platforms completely. But maybe the bigger impact is that it extends this COPPA law to cover kids 16 and under, not just 13 and under. Is 16 versus 13 really that big of a deal? Well, it actually is. Teenagers love YouTube. They're on it every day. If you increase this limit by three years, that's millions of kids that advertisers won't be able to target. That sounds kind of good. Right, but not for creators who want to serve targeted ads and make money off of them. So we've been really focused on YouTube so far. Do the COPA changes also affect the internet at large? I mean, yes, it would affect every platform where children spend their time. So every site that knows that children are accessing it would be affected. McKenna Kelly is a tech policy reporter at The Verge. McKenna, thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. It's the end to do to do to do. It's the end to do to do to do. It's the end to do to do to do to It's the end. This is Reset, and I'm Ariel Zumros, but you don't have to say it that way. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at ADRS. You can also reach the Reset team by emailing reset at vox.com. We publish episodes three times a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us. Bird Pinkerton, Will Reed, and Skylar Swenson produced the show. Our engineer is Eric Gomez. Golda Arthur is our executive producer. Liz Kelly Nelson is the editorial director of Vox Podcasts. The mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme music, and Reset is produced in association with Stitcher, and we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back on Tuesday. Later, nerds.